We're giving thanks today that you are here and that we can worship God like this. It has been a, a great day uh, of worship here already. Uh, in our first service, we were able to give thanks, and so we do the same. Uh, in this hour, I hope that you have had a great uh, Labor Day weekend already. I hope that uh, somewhere along the way, you're able to just enjoy a little bit of a, um, of a time to catch your breath and slow down a little bit. We don't have enough of those kinds of times uh, in our lives, if you ask me. So, so I hope that, uh, that this weekend is an opportunity like that for you. And, um, and also, I'm just really thankful that we can, we can take some time and pause and worship God and be led uh, in this time together being led by a young man named Blake Brown, who led our prayer a few minutes ago. Uh, Blake is the son of Miko and Mary Brown, and uh, he came and sat down right here next to Matt Flynn, and then uh, I think he got permission to sit elsewhere, so he took off. So I don't know where Blake is, but uh, aren't, you, aren't you thankful that he was willing to lead us in that time of prayer this morning? That was awesome. I'm thankful that we have a church family where we nurture that kind of thing out of our our young men. And so, uh, so it's just been a, a pleasure for us to worship God together already. Uh, this morning, we are going to continue this, this conversation uh, on some of the core values that our elders have identified. And, uh, and today, we're, we're going to talk about, as Kent mentioned, this value of gratitude. Uh, in March 2004, the, the Cape Times in Cape Town, South Africa, they reported a news story about a South African man who came home to find nine men robbing his house. So he shows up, and, and eight of these nine men, they see him walk in the door, and they take off running. Well, the last guy, the ninth one, was a little bit slower. And so this homeowner walks in, and he's able to chase that guy, the ninth robber, out into his backyard. And they get out there, and a scuffle ensues, and the homeowner does the only thing he knows to do. He pushes this robber into his backyard swimming pool. And the man uh, is, is there. Uh, after realizing that this robber, though, can't swim, the homeowner decides to jump in and he saved the man. So you picture the scene. Guy walks in, nine guys robbing his house, eight of them take off, one guy is too slow. He chases him out into the backyard, pushes him into the pool, and then the guy starts wheezing and gasping for air. And the homeowner thinks, I'm going to have to save this guy or I'm going to go to prison for killing him. So he jumps in, drags his bones out, and they're laying there on the concrete there. And uh, then something really interesting happened. After the robber, who just nearly drowned, after the robber composes himself and he catches his breath, he begins to call out to his other buddies in case they're, you know, hiding behind the bushes or whatever. He says, hey, come on back. And he pulls a knife on the homeowner. This is the quote that the homeowner gave to the Cape Times. He says, we were still standing near the pool, and when I saw the knife, I just threw him back in the pool. <laughs> he says, but then he started gasping for air and was drowning again, so I rescued him again. <laughs> and then he says, basically, in this, this is a, kind of a South African way of putting it, he says, I thought he had a cheek trying to stab me after I just saved his life, right? You translate that back into North Alabama language. I can't believe that the guy was trying to stab me after I saved his life. So I pushed him in the pool again. <laughs> again. Um, there's a quote from an American writer, American essayist, by the name of William George Jordan, and he wrote this, Ingratitude is a crime that is more despicable than revenge, because, he says, revenge is only returning evil for evil. You do something to me, I pay you back, I'm going to get you back in kind, right? 
He says, in gratitude, if you think about it, it's repaying evil for good. That's really at the essence of what ingratitude is, right? Someone has done something for you. Someone has shown you a kindness. Someone has been gracious to you. And instead of responding in kind, instead of responding graciously or, or with thanksgiving and gratitude, ingratitude is, is basically to, to respond, as he puts it, to repay evil for good. As we continue this series on our core values, we come now to this core value of gratitude. And I'm thankful that the elders have identified this as one of the, one of the core values, just who we want to be as a people. We want to be a grateful people. Uh, as the elders have put it, they say we are defined by an attitude of gratefulness for what God has done in our lives, and we share with the world what we have been freely given. That's what it means to be a grateful people. We recognize what God has done for us, and we're trying to live in the overflow of that. Basically, gratitude is the result of a life that has been shaped by the gospel. When the good news of Jesus has impacted your life, when the good news of Jesus has broken through into your heart, I think the natural response is just gratitude. You know, once you realize how sinful and and broken we are, and we realize what Jesus has done to make life possible for us, how could we not just respond with with this overflowing gratitude. And that's the, that's the teaching from God's Word that you see on the screen from Colossians chapter 2. The Word of God says, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and then this final line, and overflowing with thankfulness. Uh, That language calls to mind, for me at least, uh, some of the the things that we talked about last year. We spent all of last year going through the book of Ephesians, and Paul there has much the the same idea. He says if you are in Christ, there are certain things that are are a part of your life now. Uh, To be in Christ, to receive Christ Jesus as Lord, is to be so immersed in life with Jesus that he becomes the focal point of your life. Uh, it was a few weeks ago we talked about uh, a passage from the same text, from Colossians, where what, what Paul says there is that Christ Jesus, when Christ Jesus who appears, when he is, he is your life, he says. When, when Christ appears, he is our, our life. He's what we live for. He, again, is the focal point of our lives. So when that's the case... When Jesus is all that we're living for, there are certain things that happen. We are rooted and built up in him. There's a strong faith that results from that. And he says one of the the telltale signs, one of the calling cards of that kind of faith being rooted in us is that our lives will be overflowing with thankfulness. Our lives should be filled to the brim with gratitude, with thanksgiving, because of what God has done for us. So the question this morning that we need to evaluate, we need to think about, you know, is my life, is your life, is it overflowing with thankfulness? Or perhaps am I, am I running a little bit low on gratitude? You know, some folks are just, I don't know any other way to put it, they're just stingy with their gratitude. So I was talking with a friend of mine the other day, and uh, it was one of those conversations where we were just kind of, uh, we were just kind of getting it all out there, talking about our pet peeves, okay? And so this friend of mine said, you know, one of the things that really bugs me is when I hold the door open for somebody, and they don't acknowledge it, they don't say thank you. Does that annoy anybody else in here? Because like, He was telling me the story, so I was walking into this coffee shop, you know, I was walking up, and I, and I, and I opened up the door, and there was this lady just about five or six steps behind me, 
And even though holding the door for her meant she was going to get my spot in line, you know, I was totally willing to do that. But she just breezed right past me, you know, like the Queen of England. Like, you know, I just ruled the place. You know, thank you, young peon, for holding the door for me. And she just walked right up and ordered her drink and never once said thank you. And so I said to my friend, I said, well, what what'd you do about it? He said, well, I'm the kind of person, I held the door, and as she walked through, I just yelled into the coffee shop, you're welcome! I was like, are you confessing that to me now? I mean, how, what are you, what's going on here? Does that irritate you, though? I mean, it's, it's a small thing, right? Maybe my buddy needs to work through some issues, but, but I'm kind of with him, you know? Because whenever we, whenever we show kindness to somebody, for somebody to respond with ingratitude, it's just so, it's so off-putting. But it shouldn't be this way for followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus aren't supposed to be stingy with their gratitude, right? It says it right there plain as day. It should be overflowing, so if we follow Jesus, this is an important question for us. It's, it's why the elders have identified this as, as one of these core values. We want to be a grateful people. There's a link, there's a, a really distinct connection between gratitude and grace. Think about this with me here just, just for a second. Gratitude and grace, they kind of go hand in hand. I think grateful people are deeply aware of the grace that has been extended to them. The most grateful people I know live with this awareness, just this abiding sense of, uh, of awareness relative to the amount of grace that they have received, the grace that has been extended to them. And I think that living with that awareness, it prompts you to just be grateful. It prompts you to say, thank you. When I know what someone else has done for me, then how can I not respond with just a, a sense of, of, of gratitude? So, so, you know, whenever... whenever Someone is holding the door for me there as I walk into the coffee shop. I, this awareness kicks in. That gentleman didn't have to do that. So thank you. Or when the man drags me out of his pool after I just tried to rob him. You know, he didn't have to do that. He could have left me there. So the gracious, grateful response is to say thank you instead of pulling a knife on somebody. There can be no awareness of grace without that sense of gratitude. And vice versa, there can be no gratitude without that awareness of God's grace. So the gospel of Jesus, the good news about Jesus, forms us into a grateful people. And, and that's really at the, the heart of this next passage of Scripture that I'd like for us to look at. We'll spend the rest of our time here in this passage of Scripture. It's Luke chapter 17. If you want to turn there, you can. I invite you to read through this uh, both now and then you know, reflect on it later in the day. You'll see the, the um, verses here on the screen as well. Luke 17. This is an episode in the ministry of Jesus where, where Jesus is dealing with these issues of gratitude and ingratitude. So here's God's word to us. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at, at the feet of Jesus, and he thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except 
this foreigner. Then he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and Luke's gospel, starting in Luke 9 and working all the way through 19, Jesus is on his way, he's marching to Jerusalem, he's teaching about discipleship. And so he he passes through on this journey, and he's going along this border town between uh, Samaria and Galilee, and he comes across a a colony of lepers. These ten men who have leprosy. Uh, In the ancient world, there's no known treatment for leprosy. Lepers were ostracized from the community. Oftentimes, they they had to live in their own separate commune. And so we see these men doing the same thing. They would frequently position themselves along major thoroughfares so that they could beg for alms, so they could cry out and and, and ask for mercy, ask for alms from people. And so there, there are some scholars who believe that's what these ten lepers are doing as Jesus passes through. Uh, our English translation here that I just read to you, the, the language that the lepers use, they say, Jesus, have pity on us. And that, that's probably not the best way for us to hear that because, uh, I don't know about you, but when I hear that, that language of pity, uh, what comes to mind for me is I think of, of somebody, frankly, that I feel sorry for. I mean, that's the way we use the, the word pity, right? If you pity someone, you're kind of like, you feel really, really bad for them. You feel really sorry. Uh, that's not exactly what these men are asking from Jesus. They're saying, hey, more than just, will you please feel sorry for me? Uh, technically, what they ask is, Jesus, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. A little different. Whenever you ask someone to pity you, you're just wanting them to feel sorry for you. When you say have mercy, you're saying, hey, I believe that you can... You can relieve this burden, relieve this torment. That's exactly what these men are asking of Jesus. And that's precisely what he does. He says, go present yourselves to the priests. And so they take off. That's an odd thing to do, right? Well, in Leviticus chapter 14, it required, the law required that a priest would examine a leper or someone with an unclean issue. The priest had to examine them before they could be received back into the community. That's just the way God said that it it needed to be. So Jesus says, go see the priest, and it's really interesting. It's really interesting that Jesus would do this because, in essence, what he's doing is he's sending these men to the priests as if they've already been healed, but they haven't, at least not in the moment there. It's in their obedience that that healing is actualized. It says it as plain as day in verse 14, if you want to go back there and look at it. It says, as they went... They were cleansed, but this is really interesting because it's as if Jesus sees not only their present affliction, but Jesus also has the power to see their future restoration. He sees them not as they are in that present moment, but as what they can be, what they will be. And so he sends them on their way. And I like to think that Jesus sees us in much the same vein. That he sees the things that afflict us. He sees the things over which we are powerless to to help ourselves overcome. And yet, he sees a finished product. Not only does he see those things, but he sees who we are when we are in Christ as well. So if that's where the, the narrative ended, we would have this powerful word about Jesus and his power to heal and his power to, to take those afflictions and whatever it is that might torment us and he is victorious over those. And that would be a, a word on its own for us today. But the story continues. And, and the story here in the passage, it focuses in on one of these healed lepers who, who returns to thank Jesus. And we'll get to him in just a minute, but before we do, we need to say a few words about the other nine, because in the way Luke 
writes here, it's pretty obvious he intends for us to contrast this one man who returns versus the other nine who, who don't. Um, in fact, Jesus here, he makes a point of, of noting that only this one return. He says, where are the other nine? I mean, Jesus says that. So let's think about those nine individuals there for just a second. Uh, we can praise the one man for his, his gratitude and the fact, the fact that he comes back to Jesus and he has all this to, to say. Um, but, but we should note that in this particular text, it doesn't indict the other nine for being ungrateful. Now, it's easy for us to, to go there, but just hang with me for a second, okay? Uh, imagine that you're in that, in that situation. So you have been diagnosed with some sort of highly contagious virus, all right? And so the, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control, they have taken you from your home and they've quarantined you out somewhere uh, in Madison County. So you and a bunch of other sick people, y'all are put out on some reservation somewhere and they say, hey, you just stay there. And so you haven't seen your family your loved ones, your friends, you've been away from your home for weeks or months or maybe years. And all of a sudden, one day, boom, you're healed. I mean, your skin is fine. You look like you did when you were, you know, 18. I mean, you feel great. You're totally healed. And all of a sudden, like, you, you, you don't have to stay in the, in the quarantine anymore. Who are the first people you're going to go to? I mean, if it were me, I would be heading straight home to see, you know, these people here, my wife and my children, the people who mean the most to me. That's exactly where I would go because I would be so overjoyed that my life has been given back to me. Now, the Bible doesn't say that that's where these other nine went. We don't know, all right? But if any of that applies to any of those nine guys, they, they at least have my understanding, okay? But that doesn't change the fact that they never express their gratitude. I imagine they probably were pretty grateful for what Jesus had done, but the bottom line is we don't know because unexpressed gratitude, it's really no gratitude at all. If you, if you have this feeling inside of you of, of, of gratitude, you're really thankful for, for something that someone has done for you, but you never express it, can we really say that you were grateful? I mean, maybe you're grateful in some kind of interior sort of way, but you never shared that. You never let anybody know that. If you're truly thankful for what someone has done, that gratitude needs to find expression. You need to, you need to let them know. Gratitude's like good news. It's like a, it's like a great joke. It's like, it's like an umbrella in the middle of a downpour. It's meant to be shared with other people, you know? And that's exactly what this one does, but it's what the others don't do. Gratitude. We should, again, remember Colossians 2. We are to be overflowing here with thankfulness. What does that mean? That means we seize every opportunity to let someone know when we're grateful, when we're thankful. We're not supposed to be miserly with that gratitude, but instead it should be overflowing from us when we are aware, when we're aware of the grace that we've received. So that's one takeaway. It's one thing we can learn from those nine uh, this passage also reminds us of, of this, that, that ingratitude may abound. Ingratitude, in you can find that just about anywhere you turn, but, but gratitude is, is uncommon. So, again, we have nine who don't express gratitude, even though they probably feel it at a deep level. They never say it. So, you know, there's really, there's, there's value, there's something important about saying what we're feeling, right? For some of us, that may be a little difficult, we may be more inclined to just show how we feel rather than say it, but, 
verbalizing is huge, especially when it comes to gratitude, right? Uh, But we learn from this passage that ingratitude is fairly common. It's fairly common. Gratitude, on the other hand, is uncommon. So what does that mean? Well, you know, that means the next time I'm at the coffee shop and I'm holding the door open for somebody and she comes breezing through like she owns the place, you know, I probably shouldn't be that surprised. Uh, Next time the guy who robs me tries to stab me after I pull him out of the swimming pool, I probably shouldn't be all that surprised, right? Because ingratitude just abounds. But how much more important is it then for us as followers of Jesus to embody something that's countercultural? To embody a way of life that runs against the grain. That's where there's real gospel power. And don't forget, Jesus calls us to be that kind of people. To be a contrast community. A community of salt and light that stands out. Where we dare to be different. Even though it runs against the prevailing norms of the world. You know what? So did Jesus. So if we're going to bear his name, that's kind of what's required of us. Gratitude is an uncommon virtue. So let's be people of uncommon gratitude, right? Uh, let's close out here by, by looking now at the one man who does return. The one man who returns to say thank you to Jesus. It says in the, in the text there that we just read, he comes back praising God in a loud voice. In this act of humility, it says he throws himself on the ground at the feet of Jesus And he assumes this posture, this posture of meekness, this posture of servitude. You know, sometimes your words just don't, they don't have the power to communicate what's really, what's really in your heart. You know, and so this man, he just, he decides to embody the the very posture that he's seeking to communicate. We we believe in this kind of thing, don't we? Uh, How many of you got down on one knee a few years ago and held out a ring to a pretty girl that you loved? I mean, you know, like we believe that that posture is important because it communicates something that even our words may not be able to communicate. And some of us who aren't so great at using our words, we love that we can communicate in another way. And so this man, in much the same way, I don't know what words he had, but when he comes before Jesus, praising God in a loud voice, and he just falls to the ground, man, okay, we get it. We, we know what that's about. He is humbling himself. He's falling before Jesus. He's, he's assuming this posture of meekness and servitude. And it says there that he thanked Jesus. The word that Luke uses there, it's a verb form of, of the word Eucharist. It's a Greek word. It's fairly common. It's referred to, uh, to the act of giving thanks. That, that may not be all that significant to many of us. But I want you to know that that's, that's a word that later came to be a proper name that was used to describe the very act of coming around the table of the Lord. Now, we, we refer to it oftentimes as communion. We refer to it as the Lord's Supper. But the, the language of the Eucharist is just basically a way of saying that this meal, this covenant meal that we just observed, is a meal of, among other things, a meal of thanksgiving, And that's the language that's used here of this man when he is on his feet. He is on his face saying thank you to Jesus. This gives us, I think, a little deeper insight into what we just did. So can we think of our time around the table as a time for communion, a time for reflection, all the things that we we believe and practice around here? Can we also think of that time as, as a time for us to come before Jesus and fall before him with the same spirit of thanksgiving that welled up in the life of this man 
who was ostracized, who was alienated, who had no community, who had no hope, who had no life, and then Jesus came along and everything changed? Does that not describe my experience with Christ and your experience with Christ, that without him we were nothing, but now we've found life? And isn't that something that we want to thank him for and praise him for as we gather around the table every Lord's Day? So as we, as we close here thinking about this individual, as we think about this one healed leper, former leper, however you want to describe it, this one healed man who comes back to thank Jesus, uh, there, there's a final lesson, I think, that, that we learn from his life. And it has to do with the ingredients that make up a grateful perspective. Gratitude is made up based on the example we see from this man. It's made up of these, these three things. It's a life of praise, a life of humility, and a life of thanksgiving. That's the recipe for gratitude that you see here in Luke 17. You know, the best way that I know to grow in gratitude is to start a list of the things for which you're thankful. You know, just start a list, uh, just writing down you know, all the blessings, all the things that you want to give thanks for. That practice is so helpful because When we start that, I use that term intentionally, when we start that list, we begin something that truly can never be finished. You know, we'll get hand cramps before we're done writing down all the things that we need to thank God for. We'll run out of paper. All the pens that we have will dry up before we're done because there is always something for us to give thanks for. And so it's it's a really helpful practice. If you find yourself maybe running low on gratitude, take a little time this afternoon Just take 15 minutes and say, I'm just going to set a timer on your phone and say, I'm going to take the next 15 minutes. I'm just going to see if I can fill 15 minutes writing down the things I'm thankful for. I'd love to hear how that goes. Because I think at the end of 15 minutes, you'll say, man, that went by quickly. Because when we begin to think about it, there's so much we have that we ought to say thank you for. So not only is that a helpful practice, it's also deeply biblical. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 20, we We studied this this passage again last year. But this is the the thought that's found there. Jumping in kind of mid-sentence, Paul says, Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Giving thanks always and in everything. Giving thanks to God for what he has done in our lives. One of the ways we can be faithful to that teaching is to, to list the things for which we're thankful It's the same idea that's communicated in that old song, that old hymn that that we used to sing, Count Your Blessings, right? You remember this one. When upon life's billows, I'm going to read it. I'm not going to lead you in singing it, all right? I'll read it. When upon life's billows you are tempest-tossed, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost. I hear some of you whispering it. Keep going. Count your many blessings, name them one by one. What's the next line? And it will surprise you what the Lord has done, right? I think there's some truth to that. There's some real truth. When we begin to count those blessings, we begin to list those out there, I think the response in us becomes much like this, much like this healed man. The response is praise because we recognize we have so much to give thanks for. Uh, humility is another one of those key ingredients that we find in, in the life of this man. Uh, humility is, is that key ingredient in gratitude. The most gracious people are all, oftentimes the most humble because, again, they live with this awareness of what God has done for them. And living in, 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 the, uh, in, in light of that grace just prompts 
Praise, for one, but also, also humility. Don't forget that in the Sermon on the Mount, widely hailed as the greatest sermon ever preached, okay, that Jesus begins, his lead-off statement is a statement about humility. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's the opposite of poor in spirit? It would be proud in spirit. So on the one hand, we've got this man over here who's just fallen down because he just, it's like he can't even bring himself to look Jesus in the eye. He's so grateful. He's so thankful. He knows that he, his life was just nothing without Jesus. And then on the other end of the spectrum, we have that haughtiness, that arrogance, that entitlement, and that pride. I, I don't know about you, but if you ask me one of one of the besetting sins of our culture these days is that we, we seem to live with this, this sense of entitlement, you know? Like, like we're entitled to so much. And I'm telling you, that, that's kind of the, the enemy of a spirit of, of gratitude. A few years ago, uh, the San Francisco Giants were, uh, apparently, it was reported at least, that they were being sued the San Francisco Giants baseball team, it was reported that they were being sued uh, for giving away Father's Day gifts uh, at the ballpark. And their crime was that the gifts were only given to men on Father's Day at the ballpark. Um, If that story is true, which in our litigious society, I suspect there's at least some shred of truth, you know, to that if that story's true, doesn't that illustrate how this sense of entitlement and, and arrogance, pride, all these things can, can run counter to a spirit of, of gratitude? And then you lay alongside that the example of this man who's just so grateful, so humble in his response. Again, when you're aware of the grace that has been extended to you, humble gratitude is just a natural response. Lastly, um, the final of these ingredients is, is thanksgiving. And I know uh, thanksgiving, thankfulness, it's, it's practically synonymous with, with gratitude. We use those words interchangeably. I've used them interchangeably even here uh, in this sermon. But I want to I point one thing out on, on this idea of thankfulness. It's the last little bit of information that Luke records in this, in this episode about this Samaritan uh, man. He goes through all this. He says that he threw himself at the feet of Jesus and that he thanked him. And then that's when Luke tells us that this is a Samaritan. So until the very end, Luke kind of saves this for the punchline. You have the, the example of this one man who returns to say thank you. And Luke makes a point of saying, and this was one who was considered to be outside. This is one who, who is not a faithful Israelite, but he was, he was a Samaritan. Now, We know from reading through other passages, the Good Samaritan and other places, uh, the Samaritans were considered by the the Jews of Jesus' day to be uh, just the lowest of the low. Likewise, you have lepers who are ostracized from the community and farmed out to, you know, stay out in the county, like I put it. Either one of those in, in isolation would have been enough for this man to be considered like lower than dirt. But you put the two of them together in one person to be a Samaritan and a leper? And you're, you're talking about someone who have, would have been considered just monstrous in the Jewish mentality of Jesus' day. 
I mean, this is a freakish, grotesque sort of character. It doesn't get any lower than this. And yet he's the one. He's the one who comes back to say thank you. He's the example of gratitude in this text. And maybe that gives us a little bit of insight into why our man returns in the first place. Maybe he, more than anybody else, is aware of the gift he's been given. Because more than anybody else, he knows how others have been viewing him. And he knows the grace that was extended to him through Christ Jesus. He cried out, Jesus, have mercy on me. And he was healed. He was healed. He was restored. His life was given back to him. And he comes to Jesus to say, thank you. Does that describe anybody's story in here? (laughs) I mean, does that describe that what is in your heart today as you come to worship the great and awesome God? Can anybody in here say, you know, I was like that guy. I was lost. I was, I was so broken. I was so consumed with problems that were so, so much greater than me. There's so much beyond my ability to overcome on my own. And I cried out to Jesus for mercy. And he was merciful. He reached down and touched me. He, he changed my life. He transformed me. He forgave me of my sin. And he set me on a new path. And because of that, I come here today with nothing but gratitude in my heart. I want to praise him with humility for what he has done for me me. If that is your story, then praise God. That is a good news story, right? That's the gospel, and that is who we are because because of our sin, we were much like this Samaritan leper. We were beyond hope. We were lower than low, and yet Jesus sees something in each of us that transcends our present state. He says there is healing and there is hope. And there is mercy to be found. And when you have experienced that, there is nothing but gratitude in your heart. The final thing Jesus says to this man, he says, your faith has made you well. Literally, he says, your faith has saved you. Uh, All these men had experienced healing to a certain degree, right? He says, as they went to see the priest, they were healed, they were cleansed. So the leprosy is gone. But only one of them experienced the real healing, apparently, Only one of them experienced the real healing that that miraculous physical healing intended to point to. What Jesus was interested in was not just healing their flesh, but healing their souls. And only one encountered that. Only one experienced that. And his response, much like ours, I think, was to continue in overflowing gratitude, overflowing thanks. Today, are you thankful for the salvation that is found only in Jesus Christ? We're going to sing a song here in just a minute. We will all stand, and uh, you'll see some things happening around the room. Some of our shepherds will come and stand up front here. They'll also be in the back of the room. They'll be in the lobby, as they are every Sunday. If you've been here for a while, you've seen that. Uh, if you need to respond to the, to the grace and the mercy of the Lord, uh, there, we encourage you to do that. What that may look like, it may look like going to the back of the room, because what's in your heart isn't really the kind of thing you want to share in front of a couple hundred people. We understand that. Your shepherds understand that, and that's why they're going to be in places throughout the room. So if you need to talk with one of them privately and quietly in the back of the room or in the lobby or down the hall or wherever, they make themselves available for that.
Of course, there will be some up front here too, and they stand ready to pray with you. And if there's something in a public sort of way that, that you want to, to share, some good news, some pain, whatever it is, we're a family. So that's what this time is all about. And maybe today, for the first time ever, the good news of Jesus Christ has, has touched your heart, and you want to stand before this group and before that great cloud of witnesses beyond, and you want to say, ultimately, with, with, with conviction, that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and you want to make him the Lord of your life by entering into those waters of baptism, beginning this life of following after him, growing as his disciple, as his follower. There would be nothing that would bring us greater joy than to bear witness to that today, if that's what's in your heart. Whatever the case is, this moment is a moment for us to express our gratitude for the great mercy of our awesome God. Let's stand.